Good morning, brothers and sisters. As we bring to a conclusion this great uh, feast, this uh, celebration of Christmas with the feast, the solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord, the church asks us to remember that Jesus Christ, even though he came to the Jews, he came for all the nations. And that's what the Epiphany is really about. It's that Jesus Christ came to save all men, regardless of race or creed or nationality. He wants all to become a member of his family a member of his church, and to live in his kingdom in heaven. So that's, that's the message, and it makes sense that we would celebrate in particular what we call the three kings, or the wise men. We don't really know how many there were. The Bible doesn't say. It just says they brought three gifts, so we assume three. Regardless, these are non-Jews, but they're stargazers. These are very wealthy men, most likely kings, ruling class, who had time to gaze at the stars and study. And they saw this newly formed star, and they realized it was unique, and it had to be a sign of a newborn king. They were able to discern this. Now, they're from the east. We don't know what country they originally came from. But the reason that they knew this newborn king would be an Israelite is because the star formed in the constellation of Leo. And everyone at that time knew that the lion was a symbol of Israel. You didn't have to be an Israelite to know that. And since the star formed in the constellation of Leo, they realized it must be a new Israelite king, so they headed towards Jerusalem. And I'm sure they took the most direct way possible. So they get to Jerusalem, they figure the king's got to be born in the main city, right? It's Jerusalem. They don't know anything about the Israelites other than that. They go there and they speak to the current king. Who else are you going to talk to about a new king? Maybe it's his son. He's a little surprised, shocked. He didn't know about any new king. So Herod asks the, the priests and the scribes, and they realize that there was a prophecy about a king coming from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. So they said that's where the new king would be born. So then they go to Bethlehem, and the star appears once more, and it guides them to the place where Jesus is with Mary, his mother. Now, after they do homage before him and they present their gifts to him, the gospel gives us a very important detail because Herod wanted to kill the newborn king. He felt threatened by his kingship. An angel appeared to them in their dreams and told them not to return to Herod. And so, naturally, the gospel writer tells us that they departed for their home country by another way. Now, that seems logical. You don't want to go talk to Herod again, so you go a different way home. They took a, somewhat of a detour. But no detail is unimportant. There's a reason why our Lord wanted it to unfold this way. You see, once you encounter Christ, you can no longer go the same way that you ever went before. You have to change your ways. That's the whole point of following Christ. You can't go back to the old life you lived. Christ is the way, and that's a new way. But what led these men to Christ? It was the star. It was this sign in the sky that God had placed there to direct them on their journey to truth. Now, each of us in our lives needs some type of guiding star, some sign some person 
in order to direct us to Christ. We were all led to Christ by someone else or something else. Most of us, it's because of our parents, right? We may be raised in a Christian, a Catholic home. We're brought to believe in Jesus and to follow his way by our parents, but it could have been some other means. Regardless, it is our Lord's plan that a mother and a father be the first people to bring their children to him. In a sense, they are to be the shining star that points to the manger. This is where you will find the newborn king. This is where you will find your salvation. That is the responsibility of every mother and father for each of their children. But sadly, because of sin, we don't always shine that brightly and we don't always point in the right direction. That's where repentance comes in, of course. But you have to consider, brothers and sisters, those of you who are married with children, that our Lord will judge you according to how you pointed to Christ, how you led your children to the Lord. Now, on some level, if you're anything like me, that should worry you. Hopefully, with age and experience, parents get better at doing this, but usually, especially with your firstborn children, you, you don't do a great job. At least not as good a job. Something my, my father would always say, God writes straight with crooked lines. Now, the most important way that a husband and a wife can reveal Christ, can point to Christ for their children, is their love for one another. Not their love for their children. I mean, God obviously wants you to love them. But that's not the most important sign you can give them. Because your relationship as husband and wife, your marriage, is a sacramental bond that is meant to reflect the love of Christ for the church. The church has always called you a domestic church. You're a little church. And the way you love each other reveals the truth, reveals the way to your children. That's why when you got married, you said those vows. I love you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Ultimately, because of this life of sin, your love for your spouse will require you to be crucified. That's what spousal love does. To be willing to lay down your life for your spouse even when they want you dead. That's the perfect way in which you can model the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, you can become a more perfect model of Jesus Christ to your children when your spouse doesn't like you. And you're patient with them. And you forgive. And you continue to love and you're generous and you serve. That's when you shine all the brighter the love of Jesus Christ to your children. The temptation, of course, the devil places on each one of us is to say, well, you know, I would be loving much more if they didn't act that way. If my husband, if my wife were X, Y, and Z, if they were better, then I would be a better star. That's not actually true. The worse your spouse is to you, the worse they treat you, the greater the opportunity you have to look like this. Obviously, that's not something most of us want. 
Not really. When we admit in our hearts, I, I don't want to die like that. <laughs> I don't want to have to live like that. And yet that is what is required of us. To be conformed to Christ is to be conformed to Christ crucified. And you husbands and you wives have the first responsibility in your families to show this love. So I did this last year and I think it is important and maybe we'll start a tradition and do it every year. But I thought it would be a good idea on the Feast of the Epiphany for our married couples to renew their wedding vows. Just a simple little renewal to remind yourselves that you are to serve one another. You're to love one another as Christ loves us, his bride, the church. So even if your spouse isn't here, you, I'm still gonna ask you to stand if you can, but, but married couples and, and spouses who aren't here with their spouse, for some reason they're going to another mass, that happens. Uh, please stand, if you will. The rest of you remain seated. I'm, a, I'm adapting this from a, an old ritual of the church for celebrating the 50th wedding anniversary. Obviously, it, it's not the 50th, so I had to change a few words, but it's okay. And, and I was reflecting last night after Mass why in this ritual, it doesn't have you repeating all of the same things you repeated in your vows. Well, the reason is that the church doesn't simulate sacraments. You know, that's the sacrament of matrimony. This isn't, this is just a renewal. And we didn't want any couples, like dating couples, sneaking in trying to get married in, in, in the church and everything. So, so you have to, have to be careful about that. Okay. And if you respond, I am. Husbands, are you ready to renew your pledge to love and be faithful to your wives? Wives, are you ready to renew your pledge to love and be faithful to your husbands? Now join right hands and repeat after me. I state your full name. Renew my pledge to love you and spend the rest of my life serving you as the partner with whom God blessed me. Amen. Amen. Let us pray, Lord Jesus Christ, who hast watched over these couples with sacramental solicitude, accept this our gratitude. Grant us all to be inspired by this living proof that hardships shared cheerfully are the jewels of our crowns shining ever here below. Bestow, dear Holy Family, in the years of these couples, the sweetness that permeated the closing years at Nazareth, as death opened heaven's doors to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.